0: Hey everybody, it's Heavy Ham. I'm here to talk to you about how easy it is to use Anchor to get your podcast out there. These guys are amazing to work with. They get you set up on every platform imaginable. Just recently I got set up on Google and Spotify and my listeners are coming in like crazy. It's free to get you set up with sponsors Like the ad you're listening to right now is for Anchor, the people that I'm podcasting through. It's amazing. So check them out. Go to anchor.fm start to get started or download the app through the Google Play Store or the Apple iStore. It's Anchor. It's free and it's simple. Podcast today. I can't wait to hear it. Welcome back, this is Heavy Ham, and this is another episode of Hamcast. Are you guys ready to learn more about the wudgies or the little people of the forest? Of course you are. Now, as you remember last time we spoke, they're also similar to fairies, gnomes, maybe even pixies. I hope you're ready, because we're about to crack open this book of knowledge, or theories, if you will. This is things that I've researched, things that I have found while I've had a little bit of downtime. Um, a couple quick announcements, a few things that are going to be changing within the construct of the podcast to make things a little bit more, uh, real for you guys, for my listeners, for my followers that want more out of my podcast, uh, to give you guys more structure, because I'm a big believer that structure is key, every Tuesdays and Saturdays, there's going to be a new podcast posted. The way this is going to work, I'm going to pick something, I'm going to research it, and I'm going to post a new podcast every Tuesday and Saturday. So basically, everything I, re- pardon me, everything I researched between Saturday and Monday would be an episode posted on Tuesday. If we just barely scratch the surface, we will be posting the rest of that on Saturday, finishing up the research between Wednesday and Friday, and then moving on. Don't think we're just going to leave you hanging. We will continue doing research in the background as we continue moving on to other topics, and we will keep picking up the pieces and adding more things as we go. But this is to keep you entertained and to hopefully spark some curiosity. So you want to get out there and do your own research. I can't do it all for you. You've got to pick up some of the puzzle pieces and put them together. So that's how the construct is going to start working as of next week. This will be the last podcast I post this week. Because, well, today is Wednesday. I'm going to start doing, I'm going to start putting together a massive episode for next Tuesday. And then as of Tuesday, we're going forward with the new schedule. So, hope you all enjoy. Let's move on. Now, one more announcement. Uh, This puck wudgy, uh, little people topic is brought to you in part by Colorado Forest Bings. I want to give Callie over there at Colorado Forest Bings a great big shout out. Hey, how you doing, buddy? If you guys haven't yet, go over and check out his YouTube page. He's got a lot of great groundwork. He shows off a lot of great potential housing units for these little d- forest dwellers um, he also does a lot of great bigfoot ground research um, he does a lot of group activity with some other great youtube channels as well so colorado forest beings hit him up on youtube give him a thumbs up and a subscribe Callie, I hope you hear this uh recording and give it a like as well uh, he's actually part of the reason that got me reinterested in the whole little people. I say reinterested" because ever since I was a kid, I was always I was always taught that, you know, the little people existed, that they were real just like I was always taught that Big Brother was out there in the forest. That's the name that was given to him, was Big Brother. Um, So, when I grew up and I heard Big Brother used as a term for government or stuff like that, it was kind of alarming for me. Um, Now, I'm not going to give you too much of a rundown, but about my background, but I was brought up learning in an era un- unlike my own. So my my grandmother and my grandfather they they raised me as if I was their own child. They were my mom and my dad, and still to this day, I refer to them as mom and dad, even though they've long since passed. God rest their souls. And uh, so they taught me the ways of the old. And when I was a kid, I didn't grow up watching shows of my day. I grew up watching shows of their day, of their heyday and hearing stories of the old ways and part of that was hear, hearing the legends being passed, hearing some of the legends being passed on. And my mom was very adamant about, because um, sometimes I wouldn't sit still and listen to the stories. So she found ways to get me to listen to them. Um I remember sitting down and watching movies like Brigadoon um, and some of these these movies are all from Disney uh, Brigadoon, No Mobile and Darby O'Gill and the Little People um, while we were sitting there watching these movies you'd say every single one of these movies have a hint of truth in them and I always asked her what she meant, and I said, those little people, they're real. Did you know, you want to know what they're really called? And, you know, I asked her, and she never called them Pukwudgie. She called them something else, I think. She called them, like, Kuskis or something like that. But she said that every now and then, they will take certain members of a family with them as one of their own and some of them are helpful and some of them are vindictive some of them are very mean and very angry and some of them can be very helpful and will help you grow your plants and some of them will rig your machines so they won't work it just depends on if you are nice to them or if you're mean to them um, she says but you always know when they're around no matter what kind they are you always know when they're around and I said well how do you know she goes pay attention to your surroundings when there's no rhyme or reason for the smell of flowers you'll smell flowers you'll be nowhere where there should be any flowers and you'll smell them and I'm like Okay, she goes, have you ever been by the lake and there's no flowers around? And then all of a sudden you smell them and it's like breeze just kind of happened to blow a flower right across your nose and then it's gone. I'm like, yeah, she goes, that's them. Letting you know that they're watching, they're seeing what you're going to do. They're in the area. They move so fast that you can't see them. Unless they want you to. Unless they slow down. Now, that made, that resonated with me when Callie brought up a cartoon in one of his, um, in one of his videos. And I believe it was in ancient ruins, carvings, and mud fossils. I believe that was the... As a matter of fact, that entire video is worth watching. If you have any questions about what we're talking about right now, go watch that video. Um, it's got some great footage. He includes some pictures of found um, small skeletal structures and it's just it's an all-around amazing video but he um, he mentioned a cartoon called I believe it was epic where these little uh, where these little people refer to um, us. Or the normal sized people as giants. Or stompers. And they refer to us as stompers because we move so slowly. And every time we step it goes. And it's not that we move slow. It's that they move fast. Okay. Now. Real, there's a few books you guys wanted to you guys could look into them you guys could uh, pick them up uh, hard copy pa- paperback I'm not sure if they come in paperback but you guys could pick up some hard copies of some books if you guys wanted to uh, or see if your local libraries have them I doubt they'll have them um, but you know, maybe you could even download them. I I downloaded a couple onto my phone. Um, one was the Aliquonian spirit. Now this one was very key for me to have. Uh, this is the anthology of native stories, songs, and oral history from the Hohebe tribe and the Aliquonian tribes. The reason this one was so key for me to have is... Whenever you start talking about the Kuski or the Pukwudgies, the little forest dwellers, whenever you start talking about that type of tribe of people, and you have to look at it as if they're real, okay? You have to go into this investigating them as if they're real, trying to prove their existence or non-existence. And that's the way I went into this. So I tried finding things that could prove and disprove their existence. Make sense? The Alicornian tribe has tons of legends and folklore and stories, along with the Hohebe tribe, also have much in the same stories of these beings but one thing they also have in common is it all their folklore their stories almost act as a decipher to read the wallum Olam now the wallum olam is a It was a one-time considered to be a a a hoax. I I wanted to say hokey, but it was a one-time considered to be kind of a hoax. Over time, it's been semi-proven that it was maybe just discredited because it shone some light Onto something that they didn't want shown. It's shown that America and Asia was connected right around the Bering Straits, where there was a tribe of small people who came through and traveled through Atlantis. And this is the key part. Travel through Atlantis to get to a specific land. That land was called Lemuria. Now, I find that really interesting because I'm actually in the process of translating, of not translating, but um, going through another book. And I'm going to get to that here in a minute. Um, But these little people were said to have intense capabilities. Um, some were said to have healing powers and they just, they were on a different level than your normal, um, your normal everyday run-of-the-mill race. And in the Wollum Olam they it refers to them as the Delaware Indians. However, you translate that story using the Alicornian and the Hohibi tribe stories, you can almost see the similarities where they're not actually Indians. They are the forest people. So you see where I'm coming from? So... That's a really good book, and if you get the Wallowamolem and you read and you put them side by side and you start going back and forth, it starts making a little bit more sense. Um, let's see, Giants of the Dawnland, which is a collection of Wabanaki legends. I think any book, and here, here's my opinion, I think any book that takes you out of reality and takes you back to the ancestral stages and teaches you about history is a good thing. And legends always have a grain of truth, sometimes more grains than one. There's also a children's picture book called The Good Giants and the Bad Pukwujis. uh, this covers the Maushops Battle and the Wapenag Legend. Couldn't be a bad book to get, especially considering it could depict some pictures. Um, and the Dekatoo. That is D-E-E-T-K-A-T-O-O. This is Tales About Little People, Pukwudgie's. From 14 different tribes. Now, that use of tribes is actually meant to be from 14 different tribes of Native American. And I know I use tribes a lot. Um, my the way I use tribes is to sign like I said several times to signify clan of people. Um, but in this instance it was actually meant to signify Native American tribe so there was that and then let's see among my research I found that like I said um the little people possibly came through Atlantis maybe they stopped in Atlantean Atlantis maybe they were Atlantean at so by by some regard and that got me looking into atlantis and it uh flowed flowed over into the research of uh it flowed over into that research so we're going to touch base on that a little bit um Do, do do Let's just t- let's let me look at these notes real quick. Okay, yeah. So there's this book that I'm looking at right now called The Islands of Magic, and it's actually dated 19. 19- this is dated 1920. Okay, so it's been dated it's dated quite a quite a while ago. Islands of Magic. And the islands of magic have a name. And we're actually going to So... They have a name. And... What? So, so, anyway. Uh, Sorry, I got a little distracted. My, uh, phone kinda glitched out. I had to find my spot. Um... The name of these islands in the book is called Azores. And some of you listening to this probably recognize that name because it is actually a name of a grouping of islands in the real world. Azores is actually off the coast of Portugal. In the book. It even states it's off the coast of Portugal. In the book, it names the islands. Off the coast of Portugal, you can find all of these islands. Flores, Corvo, Fayo, Pico, São Jorge, São Miguel. Now, at the time, São Miguel had two peaks. When they mapped it, it only had one. Now, some claim that Azores... Means the vanishing ones. What a saurus actually means is goshawk. It is a bird that is indigenous to that land. But I'm not going to quabble, I'm not going to cry over misrepresentation of the word. But nevertheless, everybody that has traveled to these islands. Everybody who has been there, everyone who lives there raves about the mystic feeling, the magic in the soil, the magic in the atmosphere. There's just something about it. What is really impressive about these nine islands is the origin story. Not just because they exist in a book that was dated back in the 1900s called The Islands of Magic but because what was said in the preface now in the preface this guy the author goes on to state that he loved hearing the folklore of the little people found it fascinating but not only did he enjoy the folklore but he saw that there were real fairies living on the wooded slopes living on off the wooden slopes off the Bay of Angra the fisher folk okay, the fisher folk who go to the barren Egilio de Cabra which is right off the coast of the Bay of Angra know of these ferries see them on a regular basis. The children see their clothes. The fairies' garments laid out upon the rocks. The origin story of these islands is one that'll have you shivering. Shall I continue? (laughs) Are you ready? There is a little village called Rosaria. Ironically, the queen of Atlantis, her name was Rose White. The king of Atlantis was gray white. Okay. The princess's name. Now, here's the funny part. The princess's name was Princess Blue Green, but alas, gray, white, and rose white did not have, did not bear blue green with ease. No, 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 no. See, gray, white, and rose white. They were the happiest couple for a while. But then after watching subject after subject give birth and thus never having a child, Rose, the queen grew ever more sad. The king grew ever more angry and the kingdom suffered year after year after year of his temper, they began to suffer more and more. And they started to hope and pray and hope and pray and hope and pray and hope and pray. And finally, finally, a fairy came down or came to them and said, I've heard your cries, but I've also heard the cries of your people. I will grant you your wish and give you a child. But because of your cruelty, my fear lie for the safety of the child. I will not let her live with you. I will take her once she's born. And I will keep her safe in the most beautiful part of all of your kingdom with the strongest walls. And I will keep her there for 20 years. And should you, my king, should you repent of your sins? And should you wash away all your cruelty? I will give you back your daughter on her 20th birthday will you make me that vow that you will do right by your subjects that you will not come looking for her for 20 years for if you do and if you strike against strike in violence against that wall not only shall you die not only shall your daughter die your entire land will be consumed, and all your people will perish. Make, make me now this vow in front of your queen, and you will have your daughter. He vowed to the fairy. And it, just like that, the fairy was gone and the king and queen were blessed, ready to have a child. But once the fairy was no more than three days old, the fairy came and took her away to the deepest parts of the kingdom, and erected the strongest of walls. And For a while, all was good. The kingdom was happy again. The fairy would come and report back to the king and queen on a daily manner of how the little princess was doing. The fairy gave the little princess blue slippers and a green parasol. And just to hear of how happy that they made the princess The queen went and bought all the maids in the kingdom the same exact thing. The king would laugh every time the fairy came and told her. But eventually, just hearing the reports weren't enough. They wanted to see their daughter. They wanted to hold their daughter. Two years became five years and five years became ten years and the queen became more sad. And the king became cruel again. Became Began punishing his subjects all over again. On the 18th birthday of his daughter, he vowed that he was not going to wait another year, another month, or another day. His wife, the queen, begged and pleaded for him to stop, to think about the vow he made before her. He told her to silence. He would have no more of this. He's done playing the fairy's game. He readied the army. They marched. As they got closer and closer, Storms started raging. The ground began to shook. All the king's generals warned him. We should not continue, your majesty. We should turn back. This is a fool's errand. He heeded no warning. He told them to continue. On and on we must go. My daughter depends on me. Once they got near the wall, the king drew his sword and slashed at it. The the strongest wall crumbled like paper. And once the final rock fell, so did the king. Fire consumed all of the land. And then a raging ocean washed over what was left, leaving all but nine peaks of what was once the richest and most powerful land ever to have been. That is the origin story of Asaurus. Now it gets even better because it is said If you travel to San Miguel, you can find where Princess Blue Green left her blue slippers. For there is a lake of blue. All you have to do is look for All you have to do is look for go to San Miguel and look for the, si- the seven cities. There you will find pillars towering to the sky. Those would have been the walls that were meant to hold her. And where she left her blue slippers, there is a blue lake. And where she left her green parasol, there will be a green lake. I did some looking and they still stand, the remnants of the wall, the blue lake is there, the green lake, it's there, could this be the true place, the true Atlantis, it's possible, Anyway, get you thinking. Among that, among my research while I was doing all of uh, the Atlantean stuff, I ran into another book titled Atlantis. And It talked at great length, and I'm still diving into it. There's more research that I could possibly fathom at this point. But, um, it talked about the birth of the races. And without turning everybody away from my channel, it said, it did lay out, the first race was the Aryan nation. Now, real quick, it stated Aryan not as in the form as a lot of people misinterpreted. I actually looked up what it meant. And there are two different kinds of Arian, apparently. And the type of Arian that it was referring to was those that were born under Aries. Interestingly enough, right? Um, I'm still trying to hash out exactly how they broke down the sub races. What I do understand is that this, so there's the Aryan nation, the Assyrian nation, the, um, the Iranian nation, which is the Persians, the Celtics, which was the fourth sub race which is very interesting because we have very little information on the Celtics and that and then we have an offshoot of the Celtics we have an offshoot of the Celtics which is the Greeks and the Romans so a lot of people are like we have a lot of information on the Celtics they're the Greeks and the Romans no They're the offshoot. They're the fifth subrace. The true Celtics, we have almost no information on. Okay. Um, Then there's a sixth and a seventh subrace. And from what I can gather, and I'm going to get into that real quick. But first, um, the first use of the name Celt as Keltoid to refer to an ethnic group was by Hetius of Meltius, the Greek geographer in five seventeen BC. And that actually brought to mind a passage from another book that I'm um reading, which ironically is also about Atlantis. It's Titled, The Story of Atlantis, and it dates even further back, this, uh, 1904. It says, historical research, and this is a verbatim quote. This is verbatim. I wrote it exactly, so put quotation marks around this. Historical research has depended for Western civilization hitherto on written records of one kind or another. When literary memoranda have fallen short, stone monuments have sometime been available, and fossil remains have given few unequivocal, though, in, I have a hard time reading my own handwriting, Inadequable assurances concerning the antiquity of the human race. However, modern culture has lost sight of or has overlooked possibilities connected with the investigation of past events, which are independent of fallible evidence transmitted to us by ancient writers. So... What, the, what I take away from that is if the first use of the word Celt was used in 517 BC, why then is the, what is the only recorded documents or paper trails or whatever Papris, the Greeks, and the Romans, who came long after 517 B.C. What is missing between then and the Romans? There's a huge blank space, okay? And then you take this into account. Let's see. Was so primitive a race of man, there was but little in the shape of religion that they could be taught. Simple rules of conduct and the most elementary precepts of morality were all that they were filled to understand or to practice. During the evolution of the seventh subrace, divine instructors taught primitive form of worship and knowledge of a Supreme Being whose symbol represented the sun. And the Lemurians were the the seventh subrace. We know the Lemurians were the 7th subrace. We know that because we found proof that the Lemurians were when we found the bodies of Lemurians all huddled together in weird positions being cradled as if they were suffocated. If the Lemurians weren't the seventh subrace, who was the seventh subrace? Who who was the seventh subrace? Um, that's really the question we need to find out. That's the that's the other question I need to f- figure out is where when did sun worship begin? To figure out who the seventh subrace, where the seventh subrace comes in. So I can figure out who the sixth subrace is. And, you know, why are we so secretive about where this Celtic subrace is? If we can figure out this missing timeline, the Celtic timeline, we can all but prove Atlantis. And if we can prove Atlantis, we can prove the existence of these little people. If we can prove the existence of these little people and these forest dwellers, we can prove the existence of our big brother, Sasquatch. It's all connected people. It's all intertwined. Research takes weird turns when you start looking. I hope you all enjoy this episode I enjoyed giving it to you, this has been On The reel. I'm Heavy Ham, and I'm signing out. Remember, I can only do so much except for you guys to pick up the pieces and run with it. So get out there, and do what you gotta do. Enjoy. But because Tuesday segment didn't happen, I'm going to make this one a little extra long to make up for it, okay? So this one's going to be a little longer than the normal ones, um, just because. So bear with me. And then later on tonight, I'll be talking about The Grassman. I'll come back on later on tonight, and I will be talking about the Grassman of Ohio, which is actually how I found this little tidbit of information about the little people. So, for those of you who don't know, Ohio used to be home to the Oroki tribe all the way back in the 1800s, and when I started looking at the Oroki tribe, I found... The Jogar, now the Jogar or the Jungies, are a small race of humanoid nature spirits. They are also referred to in English as dwarves or pygmies. They are approximately two feet in height. In most tribes, the Jogar are descri- are described as knee high. Although Tuscarora, little people, are said to be four feet tall. Now, remember, the four feet... The four feet tall people... Are are the Pukwudgies. Okay. Or the knee-high people... The knee-high people smaller the pluck ors the four feet tall uh, could be something entirely different. Anyway they're associated with the god the thunder god Hanun, which is said to be their grandfather. The, jo- the Joga may play tricks and might even be dangerous to people who disrespect them. They're usually invisible, but sometimes reveal themselves to humans, particularly children and elders, and even medicine people. Now, I have a theory on this, and I've been dying to test, test it out. And Eventually, I'm going to get enough equipment to actually test it. So, um, here's my thought on this. Okay, I was watching a video the other day, right? And this lady, I can't remember her name on YouTube. She has a granddaughter. The lady's not really all that old. She has a granddaughter. And her granddaughter sees something in the tall grass. And... She starts talking to it. Now, the granddaughter is only probably about four or five. She walks over to the tall grass... Doesn't see anything... The mom walks over to the tall grass... Doesn't see anything... Children... My theory on this... Okay... Let me just... Jump into my theory on this... I believe children resonate at a higher frequency... You know how... They... Say that babies... Still see... Um... There was, at one point in time, a theory that babies could still see... the, uh... I don't want to massacre the study... or the theory. There was still a theory... that babies still had... the ability to see... the other realm... clear up until... About nine to ten months old, which is why they were so adept. When you thought they were looking at you, they were actually looking past you to, to whoever was standing behind you. And when they became about ten months old, it starts to fade. When they're a year old, they no longer see that other side. That's that other that other realm is supposedly Shambhala, or, uh, true enlightenment, if you will, okay, um, they can see, because babies resonate on such a different frequency, they can see, things that are, that we can't see, kids are the same way, they resonate on a different frequency, and the older we get, the lower our frequency gets, until we reach a certain age, then our frequency gets higher, may begin to make sense, um, you know how they say, the older you get, the younger you are? Things start to go backwards. You're an infant and you start to get older, and magic and everything starts to disappear from your life. And then the older you get, it starts to make more sense again. You start to see things that you weren't able to see again. And people start to think that you're crazy. You're not crazy, you're just able to see it all over again because your frequencies start changing. Well, medicine men. And most tribes are the oldest and the wisest. For a long time, they were the oldest of the tribes because they were able to see that side. And I believe that they resonate on a different frequency than those in their middle age or their uh, 20s and 30s because the frequencies are just deafening. I'll be right back in just one second. And I'm back. Anyway. So, one... uh, One reason I came up with this theory. Was... Because... The... The thing that is most missed in... Bigfoot hotspots is, and it's not reported, it's not reported at all, only people that go out into the field, only people that actually watch, uh, field documentaries of actual field researchers, not that Finding Bigfoot shit, um, will know, um, that in Bigfoot areas, Bigfoot hotspots, Quartz is found, and for anybody out there listening, if you've ever been to, had an encounter with a Bigfoot, or been in a Bigfoot area, or been where there's Bigfoot activity, you'll know that there's no you. You can attest to this that there's quartz in the area, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's not like it's predominantly a quartz area, but for some reason there'll be bits and pieces or even big chunks of quartz for no reason. Just right there. Okay. Here's the magical thing about quartz. It is not solid. It's constantly moving. It's resonating a frequency, if you will. Um, So there's something to that, okay? Um, And I believe that their invisibility, um, not only the little people, but um, Bigfoot as well, they're able to change their frequency so they're moving faster than us. So... here invisible. makes sense? And then they're able to slow down if they want you to see us. If they want us to see them. That makes sense. And the sheer few moments that you turn a camera over and snap a pic and it's there and then you look and it's not. Have you ever put a camera... Taking a camera to a TV. And held it up. And you're like... The picture's moving in the camera. And that's because you're seeing the frequency. To your eyes... It looks still. But the camera's picking up the frequency. That's what I'm talking about. So if you took a picture... And you saw it there... In the camera, but you didn't see it with your bare eye... It's because your eye can't see frequencies. Your brain can. Your brain can see all kinds of things if you open your mind up to it. But your eyes can't. Your eyes just can't see frequency. So, my theory is that the reason they reveal themselves to children, elders, and medicine people is because they resonate on s- different frequencies and the way I want to test this theory out is I want to get um, I want to get large quartz crystals and I want to have two different groups of people one comprised of children and elders one comprised of young kids and people in their 20s and 30s Holding these crystals, and then I want to take and I want to place an electric, a couple electrical devices in the center of them. So I want to place them in a circle, and I want to place an electrical device in the center, kind of like a recorder. And I want to just see what happens, see what kind of frequencies they pick up. And then I want to take the same two groups of people. I don't want to change the groups. So I want to take the same two groups of people out into a Bigfoot area at the same time. And see what happens. Now, obviously, I would ideally it would I would like to take them both out. At different times, first and have them sit, have one group sit out there for a night just camping, have them all hold their quartz or have their quartz on them and see what happens because it'll all be resonating that frequency and emitting it through the quartz and kind of see what transpires. I bet you anything with the children and the elders and the quartz it'll emit the frequency we need to attract. However, my prediction is, if I take the other group up, and put them in the same spot, it'll push the activity away. So, one of my friends suggested that we do this, 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 experiment, put one team on one side of the embankment, the other team on the other, and see how it interacts. If the activity is completely null and void on one side and really active on the other, then we will have, you know, then we can take them both at the same time. Because we don't want to have if we take and put them both in the same camp and one's really high and the other one's really not we're not going to have uh, we're not going to have conclusive evidence but that's how i want to test that theory um, so yoroki will sometimes do favors Let's see. Sorry, um, but they are gen—they are generally uh, friendly towards the Orochi, and will do favors for people who leave tobacco and offerings for them. Now, this brings me back to the whole gifting thing and the leaving offerings. Um, one thing that I mentioned was the leaving of tobacco earlier on in this segment um, a lot of people gift okay just like a lot of people I also want to touch base on the whole stone throwing I've done I've been doing a lot of research a lot of digging a lot of folklore reading never never in any of the folklore about Big Brother, or about the forest giants, has there ever a mention in the legends of them throwing stones? There's mentions of the cries, there's mentions of the the clacking and the wood knocking. Never is there a mention of throwing of stone. In this legend, There is mention of gifting. And there is mention of stone throwing. Okay. So real quick. I am just going to read through the rest of this. I want you guys to uh, take from it what you will. I'm going to start over just a few sentences. And what I think is going on is I think... Big Brother, or Bigfoot, if you will, is living alongside these puck Um Kind of like I mentioned a few episodes ago, um, there's like a hierarchy, if you will, of forest beings. And the is are kind of a first defense line, or maybe. Maybe they're... Uh, You know, maybe I had the hierarchy wrong. I don't have my notes in front of me, but um, you know, this sheds some light, possibly, on the whole hierarchy thing. Maybe the stones are being thrown by the little people. So we'll just I'll just start reading, and you guys take from it what you will. There are several different types of jogar or little people that appear in Oroki folklore. Gahongas, or stone throwers, or stone rollers, are the earth spirits who live on rocky riverbanks in caves. They are enormously strong and responsible for moving rocks around the countryside. Gandaya, or drum dancers, are nature spirits who often are res- help respectful Oroki farmers with their crops. They got the name drum dancers because they are always invisible so, only the sound of their drums signal presence of the Oroki. Odos are gnomes that live underground, and help keep the snakes and subterranean monsters underground. So, take from that what you will. But know this, I've read quite a few of these legends, and never... I've. All of the forest giants talk of either helping or abducting. They don't talk of throwing stones. Um, They're either shy or they're violent. Okay. That is where the. That's where. That's where the line is drawn. They're either shy or they're violent. They don't throw rocks in the in the folklore. They're not the type to play with you and throw rocks in the folklore. And one thing I've become very familiar with is behind all legend. There has to be some grain of truth. So if... The stones are being thrown, if the pine cones are being thrown, which I believe they are, then they have to be being thrown by something else. And I believe it to be these. Now, real quick, before we wrap up this uh, episode, I'm going to read a story called The Gifts of the Little People. This comes from the Oroki tribe. It is a story of of the Joga. Hope you guys enjoy when I read these little stories. I think this lends a little bit more to the credibility of their history Um, because it's not just a story, it, um, it does have some history in it. There once was a boy whose parents had died. He lived with his uncle who did not treat him well. The uncle dressed the boy in rags and because of this the boy was called Dirty Clothes. This boy, Dirty Clothes, was a good hunter. He would spend his hours in the forest hunting food for his lazy uncle, who would not hunt for himself. One day, Dirty Clothes walked near the river. Two squirrels that he had shot hanging from his belt. He walked near the cliffs which rose from the water. This is where the little people of the Jogio often beat their drums. Most of the hunters from the village were afraid to go near this place. But Dirty Clothes remembered the words his mother had spoken years ago. Wherever you walk with good in your heart, you should never be afraid. A hickory tree grew near the river. He saw something moving in the branches. A black squirrel was hopping about high in the tree. When Dirty Clothes heard a small voice, Shoot again, brother, the small voice said. You still have not hit him. Dirty Clothes looked down and there near his feet were two small hunters. As he watched one of them shoot an arrow but it fell short of the black squirrel. Ah, Dirty Clothes thought. They will never succeed like that. I must help them. He drew his bow and with one shot brought down the squirrel. The tiny hunters ran to the scroll. Whose arrow is this? asked one of them. They looked up and saw the boy. Yeah! said one of the tiny hunters. You shot well, the the, the scroll is yours. Thank you, Dirty Clothes answered. But the scroll is yours, and also these others I have shot today. The two small hunters were very glad. Come with us, they said. Come visit our lodge so we can thank you properly. Dirty Clothes thought about it. His uncle... Dirty Clothes thought about his uncle. But it was still early in the day, and he could hunt some more after visiting them. I will come with you, Dirty Clothes said. The two little people led the boy to the river. There a tiny canoe was waiting, only as big as one of his shoes, but his friends told him to step inside. He took one step and found he had become as tiny as the hunters, and was sitting with them inside their canoe. The little people dipped their paddles and up into the canoe ro- rose and up the canoe rose into the air. It flew above the hickory tree, straight into the cliffs and into a cave, the place where the Jogio people lived. There the two hunters told the story to the other little people gathered to greet the boy as a friend. You must stay with us, his new friend said, for just a short time so we can teach you. Then the Jogio taught dirty clothes things which he had never known. They told him many useful things about the birds and the forest animals. They taught him much about the corn and the squash and the beans which feed human life. They taught him about the strawberries which glow each June like embers in the grass and showed him how to make special drink which the little people love. Last they showed him a new dance to teach his people. A dance to be done in a darkened place so the little people could come and dance with them and sing, a dance which would honor the Jogio, and thank them for their gifts. Four days passed, and the boy knew that the time had come for him to leave. I must go back to my village, he told his friends. So it was with that the two small hunters he set out walking towards his home. As they walked with him, his two friends pointed to the many plants that were useful to the boy, and he looked at each plant carefully, remembering its name. Later, when he turned to look back at his friends, he found himself standing all alone in a field near the edge of his village. Dirty clothes walked into the village, wondering how so many things had changed in just four days. It was the same place, yet nothing was the same. People watched him as he walked, and finally a woman came up to him. "'You are welcome here, stranger,' said the woman. "'Please tell us who you are.' "'Don't you know?' he answered. "'I am dirty clothes.' "'How can that be?' said the woman. "'Your clothing is so beautiful.' At that, he saw his old rags were gone. The thing he wore now was a fine new buckskin embroidered with moose hair and porcupine quills. "'Where is my uncle?' he asked the woman. "'The one who lived there in that lodge, and had a nephew dressed in rags.' "'Then an old man spoke up from the crowd. "'Ah!' said the old man. "'That lazy person? He's been dead many a years. "'And why would a fine young warrior like you look for such a man?' "'Dirty Clothes looked at himself and saw that he was no longer a boy. he had become a full-grown man and towered over the people of his village. "'I see.' He said "'The little people had given me more gifts than I thought.' "'And he began to tell his story. "'The wisest of the old men and women listened well to this young warrior. "'They learned many things by so listening. "'That night all the people did the dark dance to thank the Jogio for their gifts, "'and in the darkness of the lodge they heard the voices of the little people joining in the song. "'Glad to know that the human beings were grateful for their gifts.' And so it is, even to this day, that the little people remain the friends of the people of the longhouse, and the dark dance is done even to this day. So there it is. The legend and story of the Joga, the Jogyo, the little people, the friends of the longhouse, the Oroki the ones who taught them all of the forest. Is it just folklore? Is it just stories? Or is there something behind it? I leave that ultimate decision up to you. But you can't help but wonder. I mean, so many different cultures, so many different people from so many different walks of life have the same kind of encounters doesn't that put some kind of merit to the stories and even today even when we think we know it all We go out into the woods Searching For food People get lost For days And then when they're found The stories they tell Seem like something out of Could best be described as folklore. The little people helped me. I stayed warm with a clan of Bigfoot. I ran for my life, being chased by a skinwalker. makes you wonder how many accounts can actually be just written off as pure myth. So I plead to you, do your research. Read the legends. But more than that, read between the lines. For what goes bump in the night and keeps you out of the woods keeps us all on edge I'm heavy ham and this has been another hamcast stay frosty